I've entitled this message, I Will Build My Church. And, and if anyone's interested in what it is I'm going to be talking about, there's a book by Andy Stanley called Irresistible. If you want to do a deeper dive, that book kind of, you know, kind of gave me the idea for this message, and I kind of used it to kind of find the outline. And, but if you want to kind of go a, a, deeper, a deeper dive, Irresistible by Andy Stanley is a, is a really good book. But I, I want to start off with this picture of a garden tomb. Now, this isn't necessarily the, the garden tomb in Jerusalem that Jesus was buried in, but Jesus was buried 2,000 years ago in a garden tomb much like this. The tomb of Joseph of Arimathea was probably in this, loca- you know, in this location, uh, probably looked like this. And I want to just, it would be great if we could do a field trip and we could go there and we could kind of experience it. But what I want us to think about this morning is how crazy it is that we're here 2,000 years later, uh, continuing to worship Jesus, continuing to talk about Jesus, how ridiculous it is that the story of Jesus ever made it out of the first century. I mean, it really is a miracle that the story of Jesus made it out of the first century because it all, you know, this was in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, in its day, by the world, was not at all seen as like the center of anything. You know, if you were a Roman soldier and you got stationed in Jerusalem it was, or in, in Judea, it was probably because you made somebody angry and it was a punishment because it was like hot. They thought it was like people were backwards. They've got all these weird customs that we don't like the food. It's far from Rome. It's far from like what's really happening in the world. It was like a punishment. So one day in the middle of nowhere, Just outside of Caesarea Philippi, which was actually a city that was recently renamed for Caesar Augustus, right? Caesar Augustus, the most powerful Roman emperor. You had Jesus, who was this itinerant preacher who uh, didn't have a base of operations, is traveling around this backwards place, this place that is totally cut off from like the seats of power at the time, and he's got these 12 disciples, and he's, like, he's, you know, he's traveling from place to place as the Son of Man doesn't even, even have a place to lay his head. And he makes this incredible declaration that just honestly, like at the time, on its face, was kind of ludicrous. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Basically, they're like, we don't know. Like, you know, people don't know. Like, we don't know. There's a lot of talk. But, I mean, maybe you're John the Baptist who just died and he got, like, I don't know, reincarnated quickly. Maybe you're Elijah who was whisked off to heaven. We don't know. And so then he, then he says, but, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And so they, you know, these 12 guys who were in the middle of nowhere, like, they, they kind of would have had every right to say, like, who cares? Like, who, who cares? Who, like, we're nobody. Like, these 12 disciples that Jesus had, they were not the, the movers and the shakers in, in Jerusalem. They were uneducated. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were, the one guy was like a revolutionary zealot, you know, who'd lived in caves his whole life. These were not the type of people who were going to be influential. And so they could have been like, you know, I, like, what does it matter what, what we think? But he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my my father in heaven, which is kind of a backhanded compliment because Jesus is saying, you know, Peter, you're not really smart enough to come up with this on your own, but like my father revealed this to you. And then he says, he says, uh, I will give you, and I tell you, you are Peter. 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so, so he says, Peter, you know, known as, as Cephas up to this moment, because Jesus has changed his name here in this moment, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so what Jesus then said to Cephas, he said, good job, that's the right answer. And now you are going to be Petros. And upon this Petra, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so, so Catholics and Protestants have disagreed about the meaning of this, this statement of Jesus. Catholics believe that the rock that Jesus was going to build the church on was Peter. As the first pope, Protestants say, no, no, the, the statement, I am the, you, know, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that's the foundation that it's going to be built on. I'm a, I'm a Protestant, uh, I, but actually looking at the, the words, that I think Jesus was doing like a play on words, because basically what he said to Peter is, you're a little stone, and on this little stone, you know, I'm, and, and, on this, and on this little, you know, that you, you, are, you are Peter, you're a little stone, but then on this Petros, on this like giant stone, on this cliff, I'm going, I'm going to build my church. And so I think he was, I think he was referring to the, to the statement, you know, with that little wordplay that he has going on. And so he says, on this, this rock, or this cliff of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I mean, that's a really big statement. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these disciples, these like nobodies in the middle of nowhere in Caesarea Philippi, this little town, and they're just like, what are you talking about? Like, how, how, like do, are you ever mixed up with someone else? Like, what, what do you mean that, 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 that you're going to build this thing and the gates of Hades isn't going to overcome it? Because what he meant by the gates of Hades, I think, is he meant like, like death is not going to overcome it. My death, you know, my, my death is going to go on beyond my death. It's going to go on beyond your death, you know. And, and so this word, church, upon this church, I will build my church— by, I will build my church. Upon this, this rock, I will build my church. It's the first time that this word shows up. And it's the Greek word ekklesia. And what ekklesia means is gathering or congregation or people who are called out for a purpose. And so what Jesus is saying is that he's going to build a gathering. He's going to gather people around this truth that he's the Christ, the son of the living God, and nothing is going to stop it. Even the gates of Hades, it's going to, out, it's going to outlive everyone's death who was gathered there. And so ecclesia means gathering. But what's interesting is that translators didn't translate that word as, as gathering or as congregation. What they did, as, as, as this ecclesia, as this gathering grew, you know, it grew and it grew and it grew and it got, you know, went through some periods where it got politicized. And so they actually, rather than saying congregation, they put in this German word, this actually pre-German word, word kirch. And kirch means like special anointed place. And, and so what's interesting is they, they didn't translate ecclesia directly. They substituted it with this German word, which meant something else, which, which meant this, this holy place or the Lord's place. And this was kind of a big deal because it, it actually kind of, it made people think more of like what Jesus was going to build was like a building, you know, and, and you've heard people say like, hey, no, we don't go to church. We are the church. And, and the reason there's that misunderstanding is, is because they substituted that word. 
And it actually was a really big deal. William Tyndale, who in the 15th century was a famous Bible translator, he translated the word ecclesia as gathering. And, and the powers that be had a real problem with that, and he refused to change it. So they burned him at the stake over, over having the word from Kirch, church to, to ecclesia. It was a really big deal. And so the German word survived. And in a way, the original idea that Jesus had, was trying to communicate was lost a little bit. Because what Jesus was saying is that he was going to build a people. He was going to have a gathering, not around a place, not around a sacred site, but around the truth that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what's interesting, if you take, like here we are 2,000 years later, and you take all of the billions of people who are gathered in churches this morning all around the world, and you've got Catholics, and you've got all the different orders of Catholicism, and you've got the Eastern Orthodox Church, and you've got all these Protestant churches, you know, you've got, you've got high Anglican churches, you have Baptist churches, you have churches, you know, like vineyards where people are in blue jeans and electric guitars, you've got like Pentecostal churches, and then really Pentecostal churches, you've got, you've got all these different types of churches. And we all worship in really different ways, right? I mean, some people are about the, the bells and the robes and the incense and, and others are kind of keeping it a little bit more stripped down. But the one thing that we would all agree on, that all the churches all over the world would agree on what they gather around is the statement of Jesus, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And so here we are 2,000 years later and Jesus made this promise which at the time, it just didn't seem like it was going to, how is this going to go anywhere? I mean, who are we? Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're just this, in the middle of nowhere, this traveling itinerant preacher, and we're a bunch of nobodies. What do you mean you're going to build something that the gates of Hades won't prevail against? But 2,000 years later, Jesus made a promise, and Jesus has kept a promise, and it's really a miracle that this, that this all has happened and unfolded over the last 2,000 years. Now, Jesus said something else that was pretty amazing, pretty unlikely. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 19. Jesus came to them. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so, so first of all, I mean, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. That's a bold statement. I mean, if anyone else said that, you'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, who do you think you are? But then what he said is you're going to go and you're going to go to all nations, and again, remember the people that he was talking to. These were people, they were, these were provincial people. They hadn't wandered too far from the place where they were born. And they were like, what do you mean it's going to go to all the nations? We don't even know the nations that are out there. And Jesus said, hey, no, don't worry. I'm going to be with you to the very end. And then he said, let's pray. And they all closed their eyes and they prayed. And then they opened their eyes and Jesus was gone. And they're like, where did Jesus go? Oh, wait, he's up there ascending into, into the heavens. And so it, it really seems like, like this should not have kind of kept going, right? Jesus died, and then Jesus left, and you look at the people that he was dealing with, but then this amazing thing happened, right? So Jesus said to his disciples, he said, before you start telling people about me, I want you to wait. I want you to wait to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you had 120 disciples, the, the original disciples, and then like an expanded group from them, waiting for this promise. And then one day on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit showed up. 
And tongues of fire descended on all 120 of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were speaking in tongues. And so then what they did is they went out into the crowd. They went out into the streets of Jerusalem, and they started talking about Jesus. And, and at this point, when they went out and they began talking about Jesus, Jerusalem had 10 times as many people as it normally would because it was the Feast of Pentecost and people had come from all around. And so the message that he had was, was the, the message that, that Peter had and that the early church had when they first started talking about Jesus is a little bit more simple than we would think. It was actually pretty stripped down. Here's the summary of what they said over and over and over again. They said, you killed him, speaking of Jesus, God raised him, say you're sorry. I mean, that basically was the message that they said over and over again. But what you got to remember, too, is that this message of, 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 you know, you killed him, God raised him, say you're sorry. G Peter was talking to people who remembered these events from just a few weeks ago. Peter was talking to people who were a part of what happened. Maybe they were part of the crowd that were, that were screaming before, before Pontius Pilate, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Maybe there were members of the Sanhedrin that were there. And, and Peter, who before was afraid, a couple of weeks ago, denied Jesus to a little girl. Here he's like staring these people like eyeball to eyeball. And he's saying, you know, you killed him. You need to say you're sorry. And so let me, let me show you a little bit specifically of what he said. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold. And so then he goes on and he says, remember David? And he starts talking about David. He's like, David died, but David stayed dead. Jesus died, but God raised him from the dead. And that was basically the simple message that the early church had. Acts chapter 3. This is the next chapter in the book of Acts. It's when uh, Peter and John heal this guy who was lame and sat every day begging outside of the temple. And he gets healed and a crowd gathers. He says this, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Not like your ancestors. You guys did this. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to this. We saw it with our own eyes. And you know what's interesting is that the story of Jesus survived the tomb and like, you know, went, went into the streets of Jerusalem and it went beyond there. And, and stay with me on this, right? You might not, this, you might, I'm going to say something. You might be like, what do you, wait, hold on, Phil, what are you saying? It wasn't because the teachings of Jesus. Now, the teachings of Jesus are amazing. We spent a lot of time doing deep dives into the teaching of Jesus but Jesus' teaching ministry, when you got to the point after Jesus, was, after Jesus was, was killed, after he died on the cross, he had said over and over again, they're going to kill me. Three days later, I'm gonna, God's going gonna to rise from the dead. Now, if they heard this multiple times, on that Sunday morning, there should have been a group of disciples outside the tomb. 
Like, we're like, okay, come on. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let's start the countdown. Ten, nine, eight, seven. But, but they weren't there. Right? After Jesus died on the cross, how many of them still believed that he was the Christ, the son of the living God? Probably his mother. Right? Mary probably still believed that. But everyone else, they scattered. They were like, you know what? It's over. This is finished. But then something happened. Something happened. And as soon as his followers had something to say, what they said over and over again was Jesus rose from the dead and we saw it with our own eyes. We are testifying to the realities that Christ is the Son of the living God and we know that he is because he rose from the dead and we saw it. And so that makes the early, uh, the early Christians different from every other group that has tried to like, start a religion. Because every other group, it's based on a belief system. It's like, hey, you know what? Yeah, here are these 10 creeds, and we give mental assent to these creeds, and this is what we believe. Or it's based on a philosophy. Here's this philosophy that we have about life. Or here are these spiritual practices that we will engage in. That's normally how religions get started. But Christianity was totally different. Christianity was Jesus rose from the dead, and we saw it with our own eyes. We are eyewitnesses of this. That's why they were so different. That's why they went from denying Jesus to servant girls and hiding out and running away without their clothes on. It's all the things that you find in the Gospels. Something happened. Jesus rose from the dead. We saw it with our own eyes. And so the thing that's really interesting is that these people that that Peter's calling out, that he's like getting right in their face and saying, you killed the author of life, they responded to this message. I mean, they knew about Jesus, and maybe they'd even heard reports of people who had, like, seen him come back from the dead and all this. And so thousands of people believed. Thousands of people put their faith in Jesus. And so the ecclesia that Jesus talked about began to grow. It began to blow up. Jesus was right. He said, I'm going to build a gathering, and death won't stop it. Actually, my death and resurrection will fuel it. And so, so God, the Bible says, added daily to the number of those who were being saved. But you see, there was a little bit of a problem. This movement wasn't moving, right? Jesus had said it's going to go to the nations. And and, and what they did is they built a really great church in Jerusalem and in Samaria and in the surrounding area, but nobody was going anywhere. So, So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, all right, it's time for phase two. What we need for phase two of this is we need someone who's a go getter. We need someone who, like, is just going to be on mission and is just going to go for it. Someone maybe, you know, they're, they're educated. Uh, they, they've, they've, they've really, you know, they're, they're men, a man of conviction. Someone who's a Roman citizen. Because if it's a Roman citizen, this person can travel freely all over the world. And if this person does a good job, we'll let him write half of the New Testament. And so they, they uh, you know, found Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a man who was educated by Gamaliel. He was, went to the best Pharisaic schools. He was a man of conviction. He was actually such a man of conviction that he thought this Je- these Jesus followers were a cult that needed to be eradicated. And so when Stephen was martyred, he was the one who was behind that. He had letters. He was on his way to Damascus so that he could gather up Christians and have some of them killed and have them thrown in prison. He was, he was a man of conviction. And so God said, that's exactly who I'm looking for. And so one day, as, as, as Saul of Tarsus is on the way to Damascus, the resurrected Jesus appears to him. And so the resurrected Jesus 
knocks Paul off his blank onto his blank. And, uh, and, and everything was different. Everything was different from that moment. And I'll tell you, historians, even, even historians who don't believe in the truth claims of Christianity, everyone agrees that there was this man named Saul of Tarsus who became Paul the Apostle. And what Paul the Apostle did is he traveled all around the known world and he talked about the resurrection of Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and these letters that he wrote that comprise about half of our New Testament, they were written in like the 50s. They weren't written, you know, it wasn't like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It was like recent history. It was just a few years after, after this event. And the thing about Paul is that his message was exactly the same message that Peter had. And even as he's going in different places, it, but it's the same message. Acts 13, 29, Paul is talking to a group of people. He says, when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. So it was the same thing. God raised Jesus from the dead. We saw it with our own eyes. He wrote this interesting thing in 1 Corinthians 15, which, uh, which is one of the earlier writings of Paul. Or, yeah, of Paul. He says, uh, starting at verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. And so I think what this was, what we're going to read here in a moment, was a creed of the early church that had been passed along. So when Paul got knocked off his donkey, he uh, shows up with, with Peter and James and John, and they give him this. And then as he traveled around, he gave them this. This was like a creed. This was a statement in the early church. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Cephas is Peter. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally, abnormally born. And so what happened, if you read the book of Acts and you read about the history of the church, Paul and Barnabas were sent out. To be the ones to take it to the nations. And uh, basically what Paul said is, all right, you guys take care of Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas will take, we'll, we'll take care of everything else. And so what he did is he traveled around the, the, the basin of the Mediterranean. Just did laps around the Mediterranean. And, uh, and he did three different missionary journeys. And everywhere he went, what he did was proclaim the resurrected Jesus. And whenever he did that, ecclesias would form. And so these churches would form, these ecclesias would form, Paul would stay there for a little while, he'd set up some leaders, he'd kind of get them all set, then he would go and do it again. And so the writings of the New Testament, Paul's letters are to the ecclesias that he had started and he's kind of checking in on or he's correcting or he's teaching more theology. And this thing, I'll tell you, the thing about, about Paul is Jesus knew what he was doing when he knocked, when he knocked Paul off his donkey. Because Paul was like the Energizer Bunny. It's like, can't stop, won't stop. He just, like, nothing would stop him from what he was going to do. He was beaten all these times. He was scourged. He was thrown in prison. He was shipwrecked all these times. He was left for dead. But he just kept going. And he gave his life to proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And then one day, somewhere between A.D. 64 and 67, Paul was in Rome. And Nero was the emperor. And so there was this, this huge persecution that Nero was behind. It was a horrible, horrible time for Christians. Christians were being killed left and right. It's actually, so, so, so there was a knock on Paul's door one day, 
And these guys came and they said, come with us. Because Paul was going to be beheaded. Paul was a Roman citizen, so he wouldn't be crucified. He wouldn't die in these horrible ways. Because he was a Roman citizen, it would be clean, but it would be, but it would be done in, in Nero's circus. That's where all the Christians were, were being killed. And actually, Peter also died at the same time. Peter was brought to Rome, and Tertullian and others you know, who wrote in the 100s is that, that Peter died, uh, he was crucified, but he requested that he be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. So it was a really, really bad time. I mean, not to get gross or anything, but, but like the, the, it seemed like Christianity was going to be stomped out during Nero's persecution. They, would do, they did horrible things. They, they would uh, design these, these stakes, and they would put Christians on the stake, impale them, but they wouldn't die right away. The stakes were designed perfectly so that the person would slowly slide down the stake until it, got to his, until it got to their heart and pierced their heart. Nero would have parties, and he would take Christians, and he'd put them on poles all around his party, and then, and then put, put tar on them, and then light them on fire so they would be like the human, the human torches that would light up his party. I mean, it was a, it was a, a horrible time. Paul is, you know, he's martyred, Peter's martyred, everyone in the church must have thought, like, what, what's going to happen? But imagine, imagine if you had a chance to be standing as Paul is being marched to, the, uh, to Nero's circus, to be beheaded, and you had a chance to say something to Paul at that time. What you would say to Paul is, hey, Paul, It worked. It worked. I know these are dark times right now, but it worked. This message of Jesus, this message, this revolution, this message of Jesus' resurrection, that he's the Christ, the son of the living God, that it's going to go to all the nations, it worked. And people, I know it might be hard to believe right now, but people are going to come and they're going to, they're going to visit the city of Rome. And they're not going to care where Nero's buried. They're probably not even going to really care where like Caesar Augustus is buried. What they're going to want to know is, where was Paul in prison? Paul, what they're going to, listen, people are going to come. What they're going to want to see, look, we'll see right over there. Look right over there. St. Peter's Basilica is going to stand right there. I, there's St. Peter's Basilica. It's one of the most, you know, amazing, inside and out, one of the most amazing structures. And it's believed that St. Peter's, uh, that Peter's bones are buried underneath St. Peter's Basilica. And he said, people are going to want to see that. And you know what? You're going to see, if you come to, if you come to Rome in our time, you're going to see crosses everywhere. You're going to see crosses on buildings. You're going to see crosses in cemeteries. People are going to wear crosses around their neck. They probably won't even know what the, you know, some people don't even know what those mean, but all of it is, is just a testimony to Jesus and to his crucifixion. What they're going to do is, you know, people are going to gather together at Christmas time. And, and families all over the world are going to gather together, and they're going to hear a story of Christmas that's going to start out, the beginning of this Christmas story is going to start out with the words that says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And I know right now, it looks like Caesar Augustus is like the most powerful person who's ever been. But I want to tell you, when they read that story, Caesar Augustus is just going to be a historical footnote to that story, because what people are going to be reading about is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Paul, it worked. Paul, let me tell you something else. People, the most popular names over the next couple thousand years are going to be Peter, going to be Paul, going to be Mary. There's even going to be a band. Um, 
Sorry, that's for the old people. Uh, you know, James. But, but as far as, you know, Nero and Caesar, that's what people are going to name their dogs. I mean, it's going it's gonna, to it's gonna work. It's going to work, Paul. This, this, this message, this message that you're proclaiming, I know these are dark times. And this ecclesia, it's going to endure a lot. It's going through a really hard time right now, but it's going to endure. It's going to thrive. It's going to outlast the Roman Empire. There's going to be more persecutions. It's going to get worse, but the ecclesia is going to outlast it. And then there's going to be this period in the Middle, middle Ages where there's going to be this unholy alliance between kings and the church, and things are going to get dark, and things are going to get politicized, and there's going to be crusades, and there's going to be inquisitions, and it's going to be bad, but the true ecclesia is going to emerge through that. There's going to be something called the Age of Enlightenment, where all of a sudden people are going to think, Christianity's dumb. Let's go on to something else, some other philosophy. And it's going to reach its apex in the French Revolution when, uh, where all of the priests are going to be led off to the guillotine and Notre Dame Cathedral is going to be renamed the, the Temple of Wisdom because they're trying to excise Christianity from all of France. But it's going to endure that. There's going to be something called the Soviet Union where atheism is going to be a tenet of that state. And it's going to be a big country that's going to cover a big part of the world. And they're going to make it illegal to, to believe in God, certainly illegal to worship Jesus. And Christians are going to be sent to concentration camps. But the church is going to continue to grow and thrive. It's going to endure. The ecclesia is going to endure even that. And there's going to be uh, Chairman Mao's Communist Party. And boy, it's going to be dark times there. And Chairman Mao is going to do everything that he can to eradicate Christianity. But you know what's going to happen? The ecclesia is going to go underground. And the ecclesia is going to grow. And it's going to multiply. And it's going to be, get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we can even go to like our modern time. Places, places in our world right now where people are trying harder than ever to stamp out Christianity. Places like Iran. The church is growing like crazy. The church is growing incredibly. I mean, with all the mullahs and all the oppression, it's growing like crazy. Afghanistan, the church of Jesus Christ is growing. The ecclesia is growing in Afghanistan. That's why we need to pray, especially for our Afghan brothers and sisters with everything that's going on. You know, communist China continuing to try and to suppress Christianity, continuing to grow. We would say that, you know what, Paul, I want you to know, Jesus' promise Jesus' declaration is going to come true. It's going to work. And even for us, you know, in the 21st century, the 2021, we're living in this postmodern Western world where that seems to suggest that a belief and a commitment to the resurrected Jesus is, is, is something that ignorant people believe, and it's out of step with our culture. It's out of step with our, our values and our mores. And then, you know what? It doesn't matter how many anti-Christian deconstructionist TikTok videos are made? The ecclesia of Jesus is going to endure and is going to keep going because Jesus made a promise, Jesus has fulfilled that promise, and he will continue to fulfill that promise. He has made a promise, and we get to be a part of it. Now, I want to show you a clip. Actually, when I was putting this sermon together, I thought it would be a short one. You guys didn't have to laugh that hard. I want to show you a clip from, uh, it's actually the final, the final scene from, uh, from The Chosen Season 1. So it's a little bit of a spoiler. Those of you who haven't seen The Chosen, you can get a sense of the production values, the, the casting. I mean, the, Jesus is just cast so perfectly. 
But this scene I'm going to show you, it's, uh, it's right after Jesus had his conversation with the woman at the well, which is just beautiful. We'll do a deep dive into that in a couple of months. But while he's talking to the woman at the well, the disciples have been sent off into Samaria to get some food. And, and the disciples, up to this point, Jesus had said, you know, the declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But they were being told over and over again, don't, don't tell anybody this. This is a secret. We're not going to let people know about this. And so then as they're coming back, the woman at the well whose life had just been transformed, she's all excited. She's like, he's the Christ. And, and she's running off. And, and Peter kind of figures out what's going on. And he says, wait a minute, did you, did you tell her? Did you, did you tell her who you really are? Is it, is it on now? Do we really get to do this? And, and so let's check out the scene. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your, um... Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Wait a minute. You told her? Mm -hmm. And she can tell others? What food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. Y you told her who you are? So does that mean? It means we're going to stay here a couple of days. It's been a long time of sowing, but the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! <laughs> So I got to tell you, so when I was watching this, Norm and I had binged a couple episodes and she went to bed and I watched the end of it. She watched it the next day. In that scene, like the Holy Spirit came on me and I was crying and it wasn't like a tear. It was like I was hyperventilating crying. And what hit me so much about that was that as, as this, the true revolution that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, confirmed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This message that has endured, that has changed the world, that I am as much a part of that company now today as if I was there 2,000 years ago. 
that we get to continue the ministry of Jesus, that we get to continue this revolution that we've been called to, that we all get to be a part of it. And you know what? Listen, Jesus made a promise, and Jesus is going to fulfill that promise. And there's lots of things that you can do with your life. You can, you know, really centering yourself on Jesus, you're probably not going to make a lot of money doing that. You can make more money doing other things. You can have more influence doing other things, things that line up more with the culture and the mores that's all around us. But you won't do anything that's more significant than whatever it is, however you give your time and your effort and your life to the cause of Jesus and his ecclesia is the most important thing that you can do with your life because Jesus made a promise that his ecclesia is going to endure and that the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not stop it. And I don't know how much longer, you know, it's going to be until Jesus comes back. Maybe 10 years, maybe 50 years, maybe 100 years, maybe 1,000 years. But what I know is that no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening culturally, no matter what's happening in the world, that we can know that Jesus' ecclesia will be present at the end of the age. That the ecclesia of Jesus will endure because Jesus made a promise and he's going to keep a promise. Let me end with this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. In view of all this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so as we get ready for the fall and moving into all the things, we understand that we are part of the ecclesia. We are, we are an expression of the church of Jesus, the called out ones. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. God confirmed that by raising him from the dead. And so we're going to give ourselves firmly to the work of the Lord because we know that there isn't anything better that we can give ourselves to than being part of that company that changed the world for such a time as this that we would be faithful to our generation. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever your understanding is of your purpose, what God is calling you to as, as you're a part of this community, let's go into this new season. Let's start with 21 days of prayer. Let's give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that Jesus made a promise and he's fulfilled that promise and we get to be a part of it. So Lord God, thank you. Lord, the, to say that you've given us purpose doesn't even come close to the reality. Lord, that we are a part of what you are up to in the earth, God, that you have made the, the ecclesia, your body, central to everything that you're doing. And so, Lord God, I pray that you'd help me as the leader of this ecclesia and all of us in how we lead and what we do, God, will we be faithful to that promise? Lord Jesus, would you just have your way in our church? I pray, God, that you continue to, to empower us to, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, to proclaim Jesus risen from the dead. Lord, to see the, the healings and the, the, the power of your Holy Spirit poured out in the name of Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here right now who's feeling discouraged, who came in feeling that they didn't, didn't 
weren't walking out that purpose or maybe had kind of drifted from, from the calling that, that God has over their life. God, I pray that you would just renew them, that you would strengthen them. Lord, that we would all just, God, that just like with the excitement that was depicted in that scene, that we would stroll into Samaria ready for whatever you're going to lead us into. Because we love you, God, and we want to be faithful to you. And we want to complete the work, God, that you've begun in each and every one of us for your glory. And if you're here this morning and you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, I just want to tell you that Jesus, he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, risen from the dead, present here with us right now. The most important thing in your life is that you find out who Jesus is and that you commit your life to him. And so I want to give you an opportunity. If you haven't done that before, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Let's all stand. And if you're ready to to commit your life to Jesus, maybe you've been running from Jesus. Maybe there was a time that you were close to Jesus, but you wandered far off. I want to give you an opportunity to come back. And if you're ready to do that, just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that God raised you from the dead and that you're alive right now. And I ask you to forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. Live inside of me through your Holy Spirit. And lead me into all the purposes, Lord, all the plans that you have for me because I want to be part of your revolution. I want to be part of your ecclesia. I want to be faithful to what you've called me to. And so just keep your eyes closed, but do me a favor. If you prayed that prayer this morning, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer, and I'm going to ask you to do something else. If you have a a physical connection card, you can check off on that, that you decided to become a follower of Jesus, or you can text follow to 201-584-7188. And uh, if you do that, I'm going to reach out to you this week and just, just email you and say, hey, how can I pray for you? And maybe we can go back and forth a little bit about what your next step is. Because the most important decision in your life is that decision to follow Jesus. All right, we're going to have the we're going to have the ushers. You can sit down for a moment. We're going to have the ushers come around, and you can put your connection cards in the basket, uh, as well as we have the offering envelopes there. If people want to want to give to the church that way, we're also going to have people from the prayer ministry team over here to my right. And uh, so we just want to pray for you. Maybe you're a life group leader. We're getting ready to start life groups and just want God to, to fill you with his Holy Spirit and prepare you for, for what he has for you. Maybe in however it is you serve as part of this ecclesia, get prayer this morning that God would really empower you to, to serve in his power and authority. Whatever your need is, a physical healing, uh, a relational thing that's going on, whatever it is, we would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. All right, God bless you guys, and and I'm going to go, and in seven minutes, I'm going to be starting the step one of the growth track, and so if you haven't gone through the growth track, this would be a good day to do it, where you can kind of find out a little bit more about the ecclesia that you're a part of, and how you can connect, and how you can be involved. So I hope to see some of you over in the Team Vineyard room in a few moments. God bless you guys. Have a great week.